Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an Associate Professor of Management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Phronesis, another episode, another fun, enjoyable, interesting, fascinating conversation. Today, I have Dr. Wiley Chip Shoba. And he is a professor of surgery and adjunct professor of medical education at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. Chip is recognized for his innovative approaches to teaching leadership and his conviction that most of the barriers to great leadership are not external, but rather within. Thus, his emphasis on the inward journey of leadership. And we're going to go there today. I'm very, very excited for that, for that conversation, Chip. Uh, Chip lectures, conducts workshops, teaches courses on leadership around the world. He has published extensively on diverse topics such as leading yourself, personal and organizational transformation, barriers to effective leadership, resilience, and the language of leadership. Dr. Shoba has served as Dean of Medicine and Vice President for Health Affairs at two universities, Dartmouth and Ohio State. Now, Chip, you just have Ohio State listed there. It's not the Ohio State. I, we're, that might... You might be in trouble in certain circles. <laughs> and he's also served as chairman of the Department of Surgery at Penn State, chief of surgical oncology at Mass General, and professor of surgery at University of Florida. A couple other quick notes about Chip. His clinical interests are in surgical oncology, and he's regularly been ranked as one of the best doctors in America by his peers and has been recognized for his clinical expertise by Boston Magazine. He was funded by the NIH for 20 years to study amino acid metabolism and catabolic diseases. Thankfully, we aren't talking about that today. And he has published 350 articles in peer-reviewed journals. Chip, sir, what blanks do we need to fill in for listeners there? That's incredible. Yeah, that's plenty. That's too much. <laughs> First of all, Scott, it's a pleasure to be with you and kudos to you for being the mind behind this, this creation. It's really a great way to connect people. A couple of things about me, which have been, I would say, important shapers of me and my life. I, I was born and raised in Caracas. Ah. And I lived, uh, lived there till I was 15. So I'm fluent in Spanish. I love uh, Latino food and Latino culture and moved back to the States 
when I was 15. Okay. Ended up going to college in Ohio and then medical school in Texas. I would say my career is is rather boring in the sense that uh, I played the game for many decades, rose up through the ranks. Uh, more recently, I would say, actually not quite so recently, probably over the past 20 years, I've really gotten interested in this thing called leadership. What is it? How does it work? Where does it get derailed? Why is it important? And those kinds of things. And as you said earlier, this idea of the inward journey of leadership, leading oneself has become my major interest. Well, it's a it's a wonderful interest to have. I believe it was, is it Bill George, CEO of, of Medtronic? There was a quote that I love that he had. It was the, the hardest person you will ever lead is yourself. Talk about your discovery of this topic, because I, I absolutely love that you have the MD, but then you have this passion for the interpersonal dimension and the, the, the leadership dimension of the work. How did you stumble upon that interest and that passion? Because I think it's wonderful. Well, I suspect that the, uh, the, the roots, so to speak, were, have always, always been there. Yeah. I've been influenced by some of my readings, you mentioned Bill George, and, and uh, one of the quotes that I like is from Peter Block. He said, if, if there's no transformation inside each of us, all the structural change in the world will have no impact on our institutions. Wow. And I like that very much. Uh, and I really have come to believe that if you are not solid and square in here, uh, you can't be as effective as you otherwise be would be out here. I do think leadership is an activity that involves people and moving yeah. them and organizations forward to a better place. But it has to be anchored in here. And I would say in uh, certainly in my line of work, often where people have stumbled or failed is when they're not, you know, when that alignment is 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 missing. Yeah. I love that word. I love that phrasing anchored. It's anchored. And, and the work stems from that, that anchoring. Talk about that. Talk about some, some behaviors you saw in, in the, over the course of your career in medicine, where you may have an, a brilliant individual by, by some respects, but because they weren't anchored, they struggled. Do you have some Obviously, we're not naming names. <laughs> no, of course. I, I, would, I would say, but, you know, what have you witnessed? Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, this applies to me as well. My growth has has uh, has looked. This is a mountain with no top. Wow. And, uh, it's really important for for people to to get that. But certainly in in academic medicine, which is what I'm most familiar with. But I would say business in in general. There's a strong tendency, particularly in times of crisis or, or stress, to focus on what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Mm. I think what we do is important, but one of the sort of underlying theories that, that I have is that it is important what leaders, what leaders know, their knowledge, their expertise, their skills, but more important than that in determining their actions and ultimately their performance, is their way of being human. So we, we put a lot of emphasis in our work on 
being is more primal or more fundamental than knowing. Knowing is important, but being anchors doing. So if you take the many challenges that healthcare has has had to face over the past, really my entire career, but if you look at our current circumstances where there's a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots and that sort of thing, the urge to do something has often led to fragmented projects that are not unimportant, but they don't provide the leverage that is necessary to to really transform uh, the system. You know, one of the conversations that we've not had as a country, I think we're the only industrialized country, if you will, who has not had this conversation is, is healthcare a right or a privilege? Do, do we have a moral responsibility to provide some decent level of health care to everybody, regardless of their ability to pay? That got me really interested in, you know, what's going on here that we can't seem to, to uh, right that ship. The, the whole notion of being, I, I've been in conversation with a few different people uh, wh- whom you know, one of them for sure, Gary Strack and, and others. And as we look at maybe some of the work of Robert Keegan or the work of uh, Kunert and Lewis or Keith Eigel with the book, The Map, and we talk about, again, the work of Keegan and the developmental stages. And it's kind of an interesting, fun thought experiment. If, if, you have, if you have a group of people who are acting out of a place of, let's just say, level four or level five, and for listeners, we'll put some, some resources in the show notes so you can explore, but it's a really interesting conversation. Does, does leadership fall into place? Does good parenting fall into place? Does good citizenship fall into place if we are really working to help individuals be more healthy in the world, be more healthy with themselves, help their development as human beings. Do some of these other things kind of fall into place? It was fascinating. I had a great conversation with Jonathan Reams, who's at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. And he talked about how even some of their programs in the government are, are really working to help in many ways open up the citizens to different levels of awareness and understanding I think it's a really interesting, fun conversation because if, if again, that I loved the block quote, I love that. And we can go to some other scholars who have said similar things. If our own shop isn't in order, how are we going to be of service to others? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what you said there. And uh, a different way of, of thinking about it or saying it is it's very important in, in organizations, I think, to get away from this traditional view that leadership is about a person in charge. Mm. There are no question there are times when people in positions of authority and responsibility have to make uh, decisions. But if we can start to get people to understand that, look, leadership is not about, it's not first and foremost about a person in charge. It's really an activity. I talk about it as kind of an energy or a nutrient that circulates in the bloodstream of the organization. Hmm. Everybody in the organization can experience that at their particular level, they can lead. Yeah. They may not be the ultimate decider on the budget or the strategic plan or that sort of thing, but 
but I've seen people at very, very, what we would call lower levels of the organization, you know, a hundred levels down on the org chart, really exercise incredibly great leadership. I remember when I was, uh, when I was chief of surgical oncology at the Mass General in the 90s, there was a guy who cleaned our offices in the evening. And uh, he, was, he was from Central America, really didn't speak English, but I speak Spanish. So we, we became friends. Yeah. I love that sort of stuff. I've never had an issue being friends with uh, people of, from all walks of life. Every evening around six, this guy would be up cleaning our offices. And I noticed over the months that the patient exam rooms were extremely clean. You know, all the sharps, needles, and that sort of thing were appropriately disposed. The room was mopped. The examining tables had the sterile paper on it, torn perfectly. Uh, it was a place where you'd feel very comfortable having your parents, you know, receive care. And I, and I asked him once, I said, Eddie, why do you do such a good job cleaning the exam rooms? And he says to me, he goes, because the patients cannot have germs. You know, so here's a guy that's way down on the org chart who gets it. He gets what the organization is fundamentally about, you know, which is not making money. It's fundamentally about providing the best care possible to the people that that you serve. And in his little role as a as a janitor, if you will, a housekeeping person. That's how he connected with, that was the reason he came to work it. You know, I thought that was, uh, was really uh, awesome. Well, Chip, I, my second guest on this, this podcast series, I, I hope you have an opportunity to listen to that episode. It's with a woman named Kathy Allen. She does really incredibly cool, interesting work. And again, I'll put, I'll put an article or a couple of resources in the show notes, but she wrote an article once that really highlighted the importance of a leader's role is to unleash energy in the organization because that young man had energy and passion and understood his role in helping serve the patients and in what right. incredible care would mean, right? Yep. And I think so many times we, we miss that opportunity to tap and to help people see how they fit in and why what they do is incredibly important and unleashing that energy and that passion for the work. It's incredibly difficult to do. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but it's a reframing. It's yeah. about unleashing the energy, the untapped energy yeah. in the people so that we can achieve whatever the mission is yeah. above and beyond, right? That's right. That's right. And it's, it, it, that's a very, very good point. One of the struggles for physicians in this sort of new model of healthcare, where to be, to be blunt, uh, it, it shows up for them as your reason for coming to work is to shut up and produce, produce activities that generate revenue. You know, I think it's very safe to say that in the past, people who worked in academia had more time for other things. And now there's really a lot of pressure on produce, produce, produce. And uh, again, that's the do, do, do without thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a physician? We know what physicians do, but what does it mean to be a physician? And that's what patients care about the most. Yes, they want docs to be technically skilled and, and savvy and that sort of thing. They want that you're being 
compassionate, that you're being committed, that you're being authentic. I, your, your statement right there just reminded me of, I've done some work at the Cleveland Clinic and, and I was fortunate enough to come across a physician, uh, Sylvia Perez Prato. And she was telling me a story. She does a lot of work in end of life care. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, I'm going to try and put this in the show notes as well, Chip. <laughs> I have a lot of tasks and we're only 20 minutes in, but she had, and I think she had learned this from someone else, but essentially it was, they call it the pause where when someone passes away, the caregivers in the room or in the space actually stop and pause and honor that person. How she described it to me is we get into our day-to-day, we go, 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 and we forget that this was a life, this was a person that deserved respect, and there's a whole history there. And she said that through this process of just engaging in a very, very quick pause and acknowledging that, it affords an opportunity for people to reflect and check back in with why are we here? What are we doing? And actually, she's going to be speaking on a panel that I've organized this fall. And it's it's for a, a film festival in, in my town. We're showing a film called The Edge of Purpose. And it's about people who have incredible passion for what it is they do. And I've asked her to speak on that topic because I think it's brilliant. And it's such a small shift, but it's an important shift, right? Yep. Yeah, I think it's to to build on that, um, that not only honors the patient and the family, but uh, if you can get in the habit, and I know know this is difficult, and many of my colleagues will say, I I don't have time for that. But I always tried to make it a practice to say to patients after I saw them, I would say, do you have any questions? I have time. So I'm, you know, and I'm not suggesting that this sort of compassion and and being present and as Sylvia said you know taking a moment i'm i'm not suggesting that that only applies to healthcare but i think it implies to human relationships in general yeah if you look at your own life i would say this to anybody or your work life or what makes the most difference is the relationships it's the connections that you have with people when things get frenetic and stressful and uh, there's pressure to produce, that's often the first to go. And we need to fix that. We were at the dinner table the other night with with our kids. And I don't know if this is going to pan out, Chip, but we were talking about life and our, ours, our, our children are 13. And then we have twin girls that are 11. But it just kind of came out of my mouth. I said, look, you know, it's, it's really kind of about three or four Ps. What is, what is your purpose? You know, what are you here to do and make a difference and, 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 and help this place be a better place than you found it? Who are your people? And you're going to come across a lot of them, but who are those mm-hmm. people that help you thrive and help you live your best life? And then what's the place? You know, what's that place that's going to help you thrive and live your best life as well? And, and where do you feel most at home, so to speak? And I don't know, I've, I've thought about maybe principles in there somehow, but it's, it's so true. Because if, if we're surrounded by people who are elevating us and are also engaged in the work of trying to be a lifelong learner 
and trying to be a lifelong learner about self <laughs> to your yeah. point, that inward journey, because I loved the phrasing a mountain with no top. <laughs> yeah. It's a you're, you're, you're always becoming a leader. I think it's important to get that. You're always becoming a leader. You, you never become. Yeah. It's like you never become a parent. You're always becoming a parent. Even I love it. Children are, are older. And I think, I think that's very, I think that's good. But I think there's a shift in mindset there. You need to write an article called Becoming a Leader. And that needs to be the core message that you won't, you won't arrive. Because I love that phrasing, becoming a parent. Our children at two and three, my wife literally just this morning said, hey, you know, this, this stage is just a little bit of a different animal than where we were even a year ago. And we are constantly becoming. And I just reflected the other day, you know, I have to stay really, really present with how we engage and interact with our kids and what worked three years ago is not working now. And so I love that phrasing of becoming because it's a mindset. I'm, I'm a continual work in progress. It's never finished. It's a mountain with no top, but engaging in that work and engaging in that journey, that inward journey, like you say, of leadership, I think it's, yeah. Is, is there a more base level starting point than that? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, and here's another way to, to think about it. And we, we talk about this in our, in our coaching and in our sessions is this idea that the only thing in the world that you have direct access to is yourself, mm. right? You're the only person that knows yourself. Now, you may not know yourself as well as you'd like to. You don't have first person access to anything else. You know, most of science is third person access. I think the best way to become a leader or an important way to become a leader is to examine yourself. What are your fears? What are your vulnerabilities? What are your hangups? What derails you? Boy, you have to be honest with yourself when you go through that. And it is really tough work, but it's great work. It is great work and it is tough work. As you're working with clients, what are a couple, you've given us some wonderful nuggets. What are some other ways that you phrase this work or that you approach this work with clients? You know, one of the things that, particularly when we work one-on-one with people who are really trying to elevate themselves and are willing to go to the places that are a bit uncomfortable, one of the things that is important to uh, point out, I think, is that we're talking about transformation here. We're not talking about change. Mm. You know, change is important in an organization, but change is about changing what you're doing. And whereas transformation is about changing your, your being, you know, the story I often tell, and if you go back and look at Dick Fosbury, the high jumper, when he was a teenager in the 60s, he was a tall, lanky kid, high jumper in Oregon. And the way that people did the high jump then was they just kind of ran, ran up and jumped over the bar. They Sometimes they like dove over or went sideways. <laughs> Fosbury could on, only jump about five, seven or five, eight in high school. And I, his in his writings, he said, I had to do something different, you know? <laughs> What I find interesting is this is a kid in high school who took some physics. He asked the the question that simple enough, yet very important. And the question he asked was, 
What if I go over the bar backwards? Wow. It's a completely different way of being. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different. And, you know, the rest is history. When he was 21, he, I think he jumped seven, four and won the gold medal because going over backwards alters your center of gravity. And he knew that from physics. I think it's about being first. Doing is very important. Knowledge is really kind of a flashlight or a light bulb that illuminates the specific circumstances. So that's one thing we talk about. Transformation for some people might be have an otherworldly aspect to it. And I think that's fine and great, but it's really about getting access to a broader set of ways of being and acting, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a leader who has historically, when things don't go well, shouted or screamed and I've unfortunately had to deal with physicians who threw stuff in the operating room. If if that's the only way you know how to react when things go awry, you're not going to be effective. Yeah. So it's really learning, you know, a whole portfolio of different ways of being, including being curious, why did that guy do that? And uh, so that I think that's one thing. The other thing is to is to get people to understand, and this goes back to, you know, Ron Heifetz's work, that these are not technical issues. Technical issues we know how to solve, and they they usually involve change. These are leadership issues, what Ron calls adaptive challenges. And by definition, adaptive challenges require that people change. People's got to change, you know, and it's extraordinarily difficult for people to change a set of behaviors that have really been wired in, you know, since they were extraordinarily young. So that's, that's an area that we, we really work on with people. Well, and we're seeing that just even with public health right now. I mean, I'd love to, as we kind of begin to wind down our time, what are some observations that you have just even in the, the situation we find ourselves in? whether it's vaccines or masks or, I mean, think about the leadership challenges there, the adaptive challenge. It turns out the technical problem was just creating a vaccine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, all along, I was thinking that was an adaptive challenge and maybe it was back then. Well, we now have a technical solution, but we have an adaptive challenge. As you, as you know, there are now a handful of uh, hospitals, healthcare institutions that have said, if you want to work here, you need to be vaccinated. This is your example is great because part of being vaccinated is recognizing that you're getting vaccinated not just for yourself, but you're getting vaccinated to protect others, many of whom will be more vulnerable. That requires that you reinvent yourself. You know, that requires that you say, I'm willing to go over backwards. And that's very, very tough work. It is. It is, especially in, in a society that at times can be very individualistic, uh, very focused on, on me and not the collective we. I, and, and in some contexts, that's a huge strength of ours. That's a, a, a wonderful gift. And in other contexts, that's, that's a challenge. It just really is. Yeah. And it'll be fascinating to watch how all of this plays out from again, from a leadership challenge, it's, it's a wicked problem. 
Chip, as you think about and reflect on the last couple of months of your own growth and development, what are some publications you've been reading, maybe shows you've been streaming, podcasts you've been listening to? What's caught your eye? And it could have to do with leadership, or maybe it really doesn't have to do anything with leadership. One guy that I've listened to and read about, and I think it's quite relevant, at least from my perspective to leadership, is the work of David Bohm. Hmm. B-O-H-M. Bohm says, and, and I'm still seeing where I land on this, but that almost all of our problems, the big problems that we have in society are because we have, we have a problem with thought and that thought tends to fragment it. Eckhart Tolle, who's a more spiritual person, said the most important thing you need to do is to disidentify with the mind and I, I, I like that very much. If you're uh, and a person, and I think this applies to all of us, who has a narrative going on that says, I'm not good enough. We, I think one of those big meta narratives that everybody has, it can be an entry to starting to understand who you are and mm. what your fears are. But I think Bohm is, is uh, quite a good. And what goes along with that is, as you know, there's a lot of recent work now on people call it neuro leadership. What is the role of the brain in all of this? And, and I think the brain is important, but I think more important is the mind. And of course, it's very difficult to get a handle on the mind because it's so uh, subjective. We don't really know what the mind is. <laughs> and, and, and so I think that's a, that's a big problem. People will continue to study the brain. And I think it's important to do that. But how the mind works, I think, is uh, is an area that I'm I'm sort of getting into now. Well, the mind and consciousness, and exactly. I mean, oh wow! And and to your point earlier about the person who frames themselves as maybe not good enough, and how that then impacts and it, it filters literally everything they experience from that point and constrains everything. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why, again, I mean, I think this is like base camp, right? That inward journey is base camp. If, if you want to, I believe, I believe have any position of authority. So if that's parenting, if that's coaching, if that's a priest, if that's a, a, a judge, I don't care what the position is, or if you want to engage in the activity of leadership other or leading others, that's base camp. It feels like, at least, that that you better start there, and then that becomes a way of being and a mindset that is a continual, again, mountain with no top. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You you probably have worked with people, and you know, I certainly have, and you know, I I think there was probably a point in my career earlier where the future that I was committed to was not bigger than myself, uh, the way I wanted it to be, mm. and uh, one of the things that I've noticed in our line of work is, is that there are incredibly bright people in, in healthcare, but one of the derailers is, is the person who wants his people to, to do well, but not quite as well as he did. You have to want people to do better than, you You know, it, it's, and, and if you're not good enough, you can never get there. Well, exactly. And, and it, it kind of goes back to that whole con line of conversation of, look, if we, have, if we have a group of people who are walking around kind of constructing the world 
Keegan's level four, I mean, we could look at it through a number of different lenses, but who, who know themselves, who are, are comfortable with themselves, who are comfortable in their skin, who understand their limitations, who are in a continuous space of reflection, understand what it is they value and, and work as much as possible to live those values and, and, and work out of a place of intentionality when interacting with others. It, you're ahead of the game. You're ahead of the game at that point. And, and in some cases, I mean, Chip, my cousin is in the healthcare system right now. And it's hard. My gosh, it's hard. Uh, he's in the uh, cardiology track. And it's been years and years of incredibly hard work. Because the system is, as you know, built on the, the labor of people uh, at the lower levels, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, you know, there's no place on a person's Vita or CV or resume you know, where there's a, an area for, you know, integrity, compassion, uh, and that, and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's an enormous amount of emphasis, maybe too much emphasis on recruiting people for their technical skills and their publications. And, uh, you know, we don't have a good way of evaluating the being side of leadership. And we, you know, we need to, this, this idea that you're committed to something bigger than yourself. I'll finish with a story, if, if, if that's okay, that one of the highlights of my life when I was a young surgeon, and I started my career in surgical oncology at the University of Florida. This was back in, this was in 1992, you know, the great Ted Williams, the ball player, was, yeah. was admitted to our hospital. He, he was not our patient, but he was not my patient. But I managed to spend an hour with him. You know, how many people get to spend an hour alone with, with Ted Williams? He was recovering from surgery and, and, and was doing fine. But one of the things I asked him, I said, tell me about the 1941 season when you hit 406. The story goes like this. You can read about it. It was the last two games of the season. And he was a Red Sox. And the Red Sox were, you know, they're going home. The Yankees had cinched the pennant. 17 days ago or something. And he was batting three, nine, nine, six <laughs> with two games left. And his manager went to him. Joe Cronin went to him and said, Ted, sit this two games out. He said, your average will be rounded up to 400. No one will bat 400 for at least a decade. Tempting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Ted Williams looked at me. I think maybe the way he looked at his manager and he said, Joe, Baseball is who I am. <laughs> it's who I am. And he played, he played that doubleheader and went six for eight with a walk and raised his average to 406. That's called being committed to a future bigger than yourself. The fans, the game itself. See, the, he was committed to the game itself. Was not going to uh, sit it out just because it gave him a statistic. So I love that. I love that story. Whether you're a professor in a business school like you are, or a physician taking care of patients, or a priest, or a teacher in a in a school, you've got to be committed to something bigger than yourself. That's going to be the energy that is going to fortify you every single day. And Chip, if you are that individual who's committed to that inward journey, and that exploration, and that work, and you are the person who's committed to that future that's bigger than yourself... That's a powerful combination, right? 
just absolutely a powerful combination. Sir, it has been so much fun to chat with you today. Thank you for spending the time. And we're going to put all of your information in the show notes so listeners can find out more about you and more about some of the articles that you've written on the topic. I just can't thank you enough. Thank you for the good work that you do. Yeah, the website is theinwardjourneyofleadership.com. Single word. All the articles are available. Scott, thank you for inviting me. But more importantly, thank you for creating this resource and this portfolio of ideas for people. You know, I've already listened to uh, a couple of the podcasts and uh, they're very rich. So I would say, keep it up. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's All right. A lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, be have well. a great day. Bye-bye. What a really fun conversation. And this conversation hits square onto this personal domain, the Medtronic Bill George quote, the hardest person you will ever lead is yourself that it is a a mountain with no top. This quote stood out for me. If you are not solid and square in here, you can't be as effective as you otherwise would be. I do think leadership is an activity that involves people and moving them and organizations forward to a better place, but it has to be anchored in here. And I would say, certainly in my line of work, often where people have stumbled or failed is when they're not and when that alignment is missing. Dr. Shoba, thank you so much for an incredible conversation. Thank you for that reminder that leadership is a mountain with no top. What an incredible conversation. Take care, everyone. Be well. Have a great day. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phrenesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phrenesis. If you like Phrenesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.